All right, welcome basketball fans to the Bird Watch, a New Orleans Pelicans podcast powered by NOLA.com. My name is Feynman Roberts. I'm one of the writers here at NOLA.com, the Times-Picayune. I'm joined here. I'm obviously not Christian Clark, who is the Pelicans beat writer, feeling a little bit under the weather, so I'm filling in. But I'm joined here today by NOLA.com sports producer and sports guru extraordinaire Jeff Nowak. Yo. Uh, Jeff, so as we dive into this week's Birdwatch podcast, uh, a little bit of good news out there for us, huh? Yeah, it looks like it. Uh, if you if you are one of the Twitter uh, disciples of Christian Clark, who the good news for him as well is that he uh, he's feeling healthy enough to go wander around the Pelicans practice facility this morning. So that's good. He should be back next week. We're hoping for the best. <laughs> we all but, hope. Uh, yeah, he sent out a video this morning of uh, Zion putting up shots after practice. You know, it's not exactly the high-flying tomahawk dunk, but uh, it's nice to see a basketball player. Especially one we've been waiting on like this. And I mean, to <laughs> see Zion doing anything besides sort of sitting on the bench in a blazer and a pair of blue jeans and uh, very nice sneakers. Oh, that Gucci t-shirt didn't do it for you? I, I mean, I like the Gucci t-shirt, <laughs> but I'd like to see it up about nine feet in the air, That's putting a ball through well, the rim. I don't think, you know, if they start playing in Gucci jerseys... Now, that would be something, even if we're seeing the results we're seeing, at least you have style points. So, yeah, so help us out. There's a short video online. Zion, you know, as a couple of weeks ago, we reported Zion wasn't even back to basketball activities uh, at the edge of the projected six to eight week injury window. But here today, we got a video of him taking some shots. Tell us a little bit more about what Zion did and what he didn't do today that we know. Well, I mean, obviously, I wasn't there, so I can't speak too much into that. But, you know, it, Zion's ramp-up is kind of weird because you, you're not looking at him as someone who's going to be dive. You know, when you look at him practicing, there's a very big leap between what he's doing today versus what you need him to be doing, which is, you know, flying through the air. Right. And the big step for him will be getting back into five-on-five five drills. Right. And even even, you know even medium drills where you have live action going on. But either way, just having him out there in shorts and I think he's wearing a hoodie is just, it's nice to see. I think fans will start getting a little, a little more excited about it because there is going to be, you know, an, an awakening of sorts once he gets out there, even if they're bad, even if they're not, you know, even if they don't recover from the schneid they're on, there's still going to be interest in seeing him the second half of the season. So getting him back just for the sake of the franchise being, watchable is huge right well I think I think things have been so gloomy around the Pelicans for the last uh, about the last month really um, that they've been on this losing streak that we'll talk about in a minute even seeing a clearly still a little bit gimpy Zion and and I'm just going off the video from practice that Christian posted like you are uh, throwing up some some mid-range jumpers I think feels like give him give him credit okay those are three-point range right so he's improving his game we can say that (laughs) Even seeing that gives gives like a, a ray of optimism into into what has been a, a pretty tough stretch. Yeah, I mean, you've been around, you've been here for a while. You know, even if you haven't been covering the team, would you? What, where would you rank this? Like the mood that you're experiencing just in watching the team and like talking about the team compared to some of the other like you know really down years? Is this one of the worst? Yeah, I'd say this is is a pretty bad season the thing I would I mean so far this season I mean this brief time that we're in now and the thing I think that makes this so much worse than it was before is that there was such optimism 
going into the season. I think the Pelicans over under was something like 38 and a half. Right. And here we are at six and 20 or six and 21. And so this, this sort of returned us to where we were in the second half of last season after Anthony Davis had demanded the trade and the whole fiasco that went down with that. And it was just, it was just gloomy. And then winning the draft lottery, all of a sudden, Salvation has come, and his name is Zion. And then he has a biblical reference. It does. It, I mean, it, it, there's so many uh, references here that work with Zion. And then realizing that all the new players, not just Zion, but Brandon Ingram, uh, Lonzo Ball, Derek Favors, these guys were going to make the team competitive. At least we believe so. Yeah. Uh, make the team competitive, even once Zion's injury was confirmed. I mean, right now, we're all just looking back to that summer league play where he grabbed the rebound out of, I can't even remember who it was, Kevin hand, and then he slammed it and turned around and flexed, and we all said, this is going to be the greatest year in Pelicans history, yep. um, at least since 2017, 2018, which was a, a good season for the Pels. So um, it's it's pretty gloomy for me as a general fan. It's, it's hard to turn on and watch the games when you know that even if they hold it close, they're gonna just give it up in the last five minutes. It's yeah, I mean they haven't they haven't closed, they haven't started well. They, you know, they they play well in spurts. The, the middle, you know, the middle of that sandwich is really is really good. I think that's a joke you said it's, before, but it's frustrating yeah. for for me as just a straight fan to watch because Brandon Ingram is clearly a very good player. Yep. We know Drew Holiday is a very good player. Right. We have seen him do it in playoff series against the NBA's best. You've seen him defensively locked down uh, C.J. McCollum and Dame Lillard. And now, and Lonzo Ball is a good player. And to watch the team, and Jackson Hayes is exciting with his athleticism running up and down the court. But to know that whatever happens, they're still going to end up just, you know, wilting down the stretch. It's, it's been very, I mean, they're going to get behind at the beginning, like you said, and it's then probably great. wilt down the stretch. Yeah, It's tough to watch. It's tough basketball. I, it, the, the metaphor I kind of, that comes to mind, it's like, you know, you can't appreciate the sunny days without the rainy days, except there have been so many rainy days you kind of forgot what the sunny days looked like. Right. And then you had this, like, you know, it was like the eye of the hurricane passing overhead, and you're like, oh, this is this is nice. Is this what we can expect? And then the second half just came barreling through, and now you're just picking up the pieces. But, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think there's some better times ahead, but <laughs> uh, that kind of leads us into the the sad part of all of this which is the current losing streak that the pelicans are on which if you haven't been paying attention they have lost 12 straight games We're recording this on tuesday they play against the nets tonight a team that's already beaten them are this season and scored 136 points i believe in the process so you, you i mean there's no reason to think so this is a 12 game losing streak right now that is one game longer than the longer. That's a new franchise record. Every every game you add on to this is a new franchise record, which prior to this year had been 11 games. The longest under Evan Gentry was eight games, which if you remember, it was the beginning of the 2015-16 uh, season. And that was when Drew Holiday was away from the team with his, his wife had brain surgery and gave birth to a child. Uh, and Anthony Davis was going just bananas in those games and they couldn't they couldn't win any of them uh and they lost eight straight games that was the longest under gentry prior to this but he's also you know he's had long losing streaks in basically every season other than the playoff season a few years ago um and it's just tough to watch but you look at it from a historical perspective and the weird thing is as bad as the pelicans have been 
in spurts. You know, they've been mostly competitive. You know, they've never been the bottom dweller of the NBA. Even when they've gotten the number one draft pick, they had to get there through the lottery. They were never the odds-on favorite to be that number one team. There's a list that I was able to pull up of the longest losing streaks in NBA history. There are 10 teams tied at 26th longest. Right. So it's a list of the 35 longest losing streaks. And that number is 17. Pelicans are at 12. They would need to lose five more games to get to that mark, which would put them through Christmas Day. <laughs> so the Pelicans' Christmas gift to the fans could possibly be appearing on this illustrious list of the longest losing streaks <laughs> in NBA history. I don't think they'll get there. I think they'll, 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 they'll run into a win <laughs> one of these days. But I think that's, that's pretty telling of just this, this franchise does have a baseline of semi-confidence even when it's completely just not you know going off the rails like During chaos yeah and i think that there's there's some interesting parallels to be drawn there when you look at this list the longest losing streak in nba history philadelphia 76ers it actually spanned 28 games going from the final 10 games of the 2014-15 season to the first 18 games of the 2015-16 season and when i say there's interesting parallels it's because if you remember, you know, you look at the Sixers now and they have all these star players. If you remember the 2014-15 season, that was the year Joel Embiid got drafted, number three overall. You know how many games he played that season? Zero. It was zero. Otherwise known as the exact same number of games Zion Williamson has played this season. And then you go back to you go to the next season. Joel Embiid's still on the team. They lose their first 18 games. You want to know how many games Joel Embiid played that season? Zero. Was it? This is the easiest trivia claim of all time. But yeah, I mean, that team was processing, quote unquote processing. Uh -huh. And if you if you want to look back at who the head coach was for that team, it was Brett Brown. Right. Brett Brown was a first year head coach on that team that lost ten games to close out its season. Who was the GM on that team? Sam Hinkie. It was Sam Hinkie. Now that so the Sixers did not clean clean house with their head coach, but they have since removed Sam Hinkie as the GM. He died so that the Sixers could live. <laughs> uh, We're going full on theological in this <laughs> podcast here. No, I mean like it, the it's amazing that Brett Brown survived the process and Sam Hinkie did not. But I think Sam Hinkie had his had his time before the process began, and it, it, like it, it doesn't take an expert to get a team to lose. Right, I think that the you know it, it was almost like, okay, Sam, your final gift to the fans will be creating a roster that is so incapable of winning it will be historic, in its own in its own, what's the word I'm looking for, just its own own particular idiom or yeah, way. Yeah, like it's right. it's so bad that we'll remember it finally for uh for for kind of a laugh. But don't you think it. Sam Hinkie gets some of the credit now for the success the Sixers are having? He tanked. He got Embiid. They got Ben Simmons right, out exactly. of that whole process. I mean, it, I mean they, like he, he <clears throat> what the 76ers did through that span, because they were so forthright about what they were doing, is that they were able to actually do it correctly. They didn't have to, they didn't do what the Pelicans are doing now, which is like say that they're trying to win, even though all indications are to the, to, you know, they, they they lost because they, and they said they were going to lose, so you couldn't be mad at them for losing. So, so that, I think that, you know, raises the question 
of whether or not the Pelicans are in what is it at least a publicly unacknowledged version of the process. Right. The 76ers from 2013-14 season to 2015-16 season, they had a combined record of 47 and... Uh, oh, geez, I can't even do the math on this. I should have done this earlier. 47 and 199. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's not a great winning percentage. Yeah. But it because of the way they framed it, and Michael Carter-Williams, actually won Rookie of the Year. Uh, one of those and they had a bunch of other. They had Markel <laughs> Fultz on that team. They, no, Markel Fultz was later. He came later, but as yeah. part of the process, he came in. Well, he right. well, yeah, he was the tail end of the, mm-hmm. we're actually kind of screwing up the process now because right. we're not making, you know, part of the process is taking the right picks. Right. You know, and, and whether, you know, you can be as bad as you want, but until you get the right guys, until you get Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, right. who at the time looked like they might not be the right picks. So do you feel like, I mean, Joel Embiid is obviously a generational talent. I, I'm probably the NBA's best pure big man right now, just uh, especially yeah. as a seven-footer. I mean, the question I, I'm is... A, I'm a Carl Anthony Towns apologist, but I will give, uh, I'll put Embiid right up there for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you would have to. Embiid... Big Cat is obviously uh, also a very good player. Do you think the Pelicans have the nucleus that can take Zion? If Zion is a truly, you know, sort of transcendent player that we expect him to be, and and turn that into Sixers like success, it, and how quickly? It's impossible to know, and that's that's why you you kind of have to look at it and say, okay, you know, this is what it is. You know, like you you you've looked at the roster, and now you have to accept the fact that. This just is not going to be the season that you projected it could be. Right. And now, just you know, before we get off this list of the longest losing streaks, I think a very another very interesting comparison is mm-hmm. the Suns. Mm-hmm. They the most the most recent streak on this list, which is tied for twenty sixth or the you know the the least worst bad <laughs> at 17 so many superlatives at 17 games I mean you have to at a certain point because it's just so impressive that you can even lose this consistently is the Suns from last year the Suns finished 19 and 63 and you know they're kind of the bookend to the comparison I'm making with the Sixers which is they did fire their head coach mm-hmm. they fired Igor if I'm saying this correctly Kokoskov Kostikov and and you could make a good case for that. And and to me, the, the reason that you can is because he had a chance to play with that roster. He had Devin Booker, he had DeAndre, and he had the number one pick. You saw what right. he was able to do with those guys, and you fired him. But I still think that, and we'll get a little more into this in a bit, you know, the fire the coach, you know, culture that has been established in pretty much every pro sport at this point, where you have one bad season and you're gone, is, you know, I think it's it's – part of just the social media culture that just calls for action right you know like people are just more like there's a lot more noise there's a lot more weight on success because people have a bigger say you hear from them you get hashtags and all of a sudden the the gm is forced into making a decision that might that is really just allaying the weight of expectations and, and criticism that otherwise, you know, in, in years past, you probably wouldn't even have noticed. They, they would be making this decision solely on, is this the right move? You right. know, Or they're getting advice from coaches and, and, you know, people that should be giving them advice. Right. And now it just seems like, you know, if there's enough noise out there, it happens. Um, I, and, and so just to keep that going, 
Monty Williams, so they fired Igor, they hired Monty Williams. Right. Right? And I think that a lot of Pelicans fans were like, see what happens when you fire your coach? Because they started 7-4. and four. They started 7-4. and four. Right. Um, they actually lost to the Pelicans in that stretch. And they started 7-4. and four. And, Happy days. You know, and, and they, they didn't have DeAndre Ayton. He got suspended. So there was like, see, you know, a new coach can change everything. But, you know, I think most people have not been paying attention the last few weeks because that team has gone from 7-4, and four, one of the greatest stories in the NBA, fun, yay, ha, huh, uh, to they're oh. now 4-11 and 11 in their last 15 games. Right, they're 11-15 and 15 overall. Right. You know what's not that much better than, uh, well, I mean, what are the 6-21? and 21? Eleven and fifteen. Well, I mean, they're they're the the Suns. Just to play counterpoint here, the Suns are within one game of a playoff spot. Right. They're within one game of the seventh spot in the East. Right. And I think if you told Pelicans fans west, after twenty, I mean, yeah. sorry, after in the West, you told Pelicans fans after twenty-seven games, you're going to be within striking distance of a playoff spot. They would have signed up for that right away. You'd have much more, you know, much more butts in the seats over in the arena. And the mood around the team wouldn't be so gloomy. That's definitely true. But, you know, I think that the Pelicans are a lot closer to a processing franchise than a competing for the playoffs franchise. You know, if you have kind of, you have a setup. And if, you know, if Lonzo Ball, you know, maybe he does turn it around, but he's not the guy you expected when you made that trade. Derek Favors can't seem to stay healthy which is you know one of the concerns you had with him and it's come to fruition you know maybe he can come back but either way they they have warts that i don't think that the sneaking into the playoffs is going to solve i think that they were they're better off being a high-end lottery pick you know that the suns probably aren't going to make the playoffs portland is 11 and 16 oklahoma city's 12 and 14 sacramento's 12 and 14 the spurs are 10 and 16 the timberwolves are 10 and 15 all of those are good teams right right the the fact that the, the records are what they are doesn't mean that the Suns are going to make the playoffs. It just like, It's just a crowded field, right. and there's actually some benefit. You know, if, if you're kind of transitioning into the, the position where, okay, this is a process season. Right. You know, this is a season where you figure out what you have and you go from there. You're almost better off being outside the fray because otherwise you're going to be stuck in a situation where all these teams are going to be competing for a playoff spot. Right. So they're not, they're not going to be able to worry about lottery positioning even though they're probably a, a majority of them are going to miss the playoffs and at the end of the season the Pelicans are just going to be like you know what okay you know maybe maybe they can turn around and realistically I don't think that you should be changing that messaging yet because like you said you know you're, you're talking about 12 and 14 in the playoffs right now right and it, 6 and 21 sounds like a death sentence but you get a guy back and you start playing hard Right. So I don't think that you, you change that messaging yet. I think you play and you go and you see what you can do. But when you start to get 12 games in a row in the can and it just keeps stacking up, then you, you have to make decisions one way or the other. So one quick point. You're, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of teams that are close to that same record. I said that Phoenix is one game out of the seventh spot, which right. is true. They're also one game out of the 13th or 14th spot. Right. So there, there's a, a bunch of teams bunched together in the West – that have a very similar record to what Phoenix has. They're right in the middle of all that big, uh, just big clump of teams. The follow-up question I want to ask you about this, because it definitely seems like you're arguing against Gentry being fired, which is is fine. Our columnist, Scott Kushner, in a column for NOLA.com, said that, uh, that Alvin Gentry firing him would not fix the team. 
but and I'm quoting here, but for the sake of optics alone, he might be the one to take the first fall. And he also said those optics might be worth it. So how long does this losing streak need to go in your mind before Alvin Gentry needs to pay the price? And just to kind of some of the things we're seeing, which are a real defensive laxity on the team and inability to stop. They look, uh, as Chris, Scott Krishner points out, they look chaotic coming out of timeouts. These are things that when people see them, they immediately attribute to the coach. So how long do you think Gentry, has Gentry already bought the whole year? Uh, does he get next year? Or, or could this get to a point, if we get to a 17 losses in a row, do you think this could get to a point where Gentry does need to go? Well, I don't think there's any point where a coach buys a whole year because there's always stuff that can happen. Um, and when you lose the locker room, you just, you should get fired immediately, right? So, like, that, at any point, if, you know, if Brandon Ingram comes out and starts just saying, I don't want to be here, this is just not a, not a culture that I want to be a part of, then that coach, regardless of who he is, I don't care if it's Brad Stevens, I don't care, well, if Greg Popovich is kind of, like, <laughs> above reproach at this point, but, you know, like, it, it, there's no one that can't be fired. I'm sorry. And, uh, and so th- that's, that's just out front, but... I am of the belief that firing a coach on a young team this early in the season who has not got a chance to, to be with his star or his number one draft pick should not happen. The Pelicans reset the entire franchise this year, and that's why you're in kind of a weird situation because when you reset a franchise, usually you fire the coach. Right. You know, the Sixers didn't fire Brett Brown. Part of the reason because they hired him as a new coach that first year when they started that 28-game losing streak. Right. They knew what to expect. You know that they they you go you bring him in to a to a roster that's clearly not ready to win, saying, "Hey, we have a plan. We're going to get you these guys, and you're going to eventually be able to build this roster, and you're gonna you're gonna have success that you can sustain for five ten years." Right. I think that Gentry kind of gets is getting the criticism here in that exact same situation because the Pelicans decided that they didn't want to reset the coach, but because they didn't. You almost have to look at Gentry as if he's a first-year head coach. He had the four years of coaching a team that was Anthony Davis and whatever else we can throw at him. And now he's coaching a team of the same name that could not be more different. So if you take away the first four years because they're not even relevant to what's happening right now, and you say, like, if he was a coach you brought in this year, would you be considering firing him? And I say no. And I think that you have to look at that from a perspective of David Griffin is in his first year. Mm-hmm. He he got to make the decision. Are we going to keep Alvin Gentry? And he did. He's not looking at the past four years when he was not here and he didn't get to watch the team. He, well, he didn't get to make the decisions for the team. He's looking at this as, okay, we brought in this coach this year. He's our guy right now. We can fire him and we can bring in a guy who, you know, might spark some short-term success. But you don't know. You know, Monty Williams, 7-4 start, 11-15 after that. You, you can't only look at the high points and, and make decisions based on that. You have to look at the, the entire perspective of it. And I don't care if they lose the next five games and it gets to 17. I don't care if they lose until January 20th and get to 28 games. As long as the team is there and they're playing hard, he's get, still getting thrown out of games with technicals. He's not phoning it in. He was pissed off the other night in the loss to the Magic. He, he got run out of the game down 20 in the third quarter because he's still coaching his ass off. Firing the coach is not the only way to assess where a franchise is going. 
and and to go along with that i mean at least from what i've seen and uh i i mostly just read what is published he does it doesn't appear that he's lost the locker room the players still seem to be largely in his corner at least from what i've been able to see now i'm, I'm not privy i don't have off the record conversations with nba players but it seems like they still you know that they're taking a lot of this on themselves you know they say we have to find ways to 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 be better and to be more aggressive down the stretch and, and those sorts of things like that no and i mean and you have a guy like jj reddick in there if there was a if there was a culture in that locker room that was toxic you would hear that from him he would not he, he's in what he is has no reason to right to to be protecting of this franchise or this coach he's Honestly, he has the most at stake here of anybody because he's made the playoffs his entire career. Mm-hmm. He has never missed the playoffs in his entire NBA, a 13-year, I believe, career. This is a completely new new ground for him to be on. Right. And, and he hasn't exactly pulled any punches with other, with other folks. He had a really great quote about how he had the game on mute because Chris Webber was calling it the other night. And uh, I think it was a Sixers game. And I, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, J.J. Redick is one of those veteran players who's sort of charged with making sure that locker room culture is good. Right. And you do expect, I mean, he's the kind of guy who's not afraid to speak his mind. He has nothing to lose because he's a, a veteran in the league who people respect his opinion and they know he speaks his mind. He'll say what he thinks. If he needed to call out some guys or if he needed to say this coach is not reaching the players, there's every reason to expect that J.J. Redick would say it. Right, and J.J. Redick has the experience of finishing off the process right he helped you know he wasn't there for the first few years of just torturous losses but he came in and his first year Joel Embiid played I want the in the 30s games wise Mm -hmm. and he had he understands how that works and I think that's a big part of the reason he's here so let me ask you this if we can circle all the way back from Gentry you know who is obviously waiting on Zion back to Zion what are we looking for from Zion when he does come back? Honestly, I don't know. It, it's it's weird because you're you're talking about you know we're recording this on the 18th. I'm sorry, the 17th. I believe the 18th is the official eight week window. Right. You know he's finally out there taking jump shots today. And we had those interesting comments from Gentry vis-a-vis Zion's like recovery process and his. I mean, Griffin, we all talk, David, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry with David Griffin talking about. Uh, Zion's recovery process and the fact that he's still growing. Yeah. And it's a little bit different when you're dealing with a 19-year-old than when you're dealing with, say, a 26-year-old. Right. Here, you can uh, you can listen to it, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it when we come back. Yeah, so it, it's fascinating that anybody feels like there's a different agenda out there in any way, shape, or form relative to Zion. From the very beginning, it was put as a six- to eight-week recovery, and we were six weeks, I think, three days ago. Um, he continues to progress. He's progressing very well. He feels very good about his process. And eight weeks is several days from now. Right. And if we get outside of that, it will be because he hasn't met the metrics for return to play that are laid out for him and every player on our team. He will not be treated any differently in terms of the return to play pre- metrics. Now, we have been much more cautious with him in terms of how quickly we've ramped him up from stage to stage because he's 19 and he's still growing 
and he was 285 pounds when he had the surgery. That's a different person. That's a different player. It's a population of one. So we're obviously going to treat him differently as we ramp him through the stages. All right. So that that, that interview came during this, the Pelicans lost to the Suns, which was actually they made a great charge and got that game to overtime and ended up losing. But, you know, I think it's very telling that he that David Griffin, you know, a quarter of the way into his first season went on the broadcast to to clear the air about things with Zion and uh there was a there was a a report that he was going to come back late um which hadn't you know which he clearly to he's been hedging the entire way but he never there was never a hundred percent that he was going to come back late I think him only getting up jump shots today versus having to be back tomorrow for that eight-week window is probably pretty indicative of the fact that he's still decent ways out but I had someone going back and forth with me on Twitter who was basically complaining. It's like, he's not mad about the Pelicans losing. He's not mad about the losing streak. He's mad about the double talk and the misleading statements. And I think that's kind of ironic because what Griffin's saying there and what, you know, what's actually happening is like, you're not mad about the fact that you're being told something and that's not happening. You're, you're mad because you're being told the truth and they're failing at it. They are trying to win. And, and they just are not doing it. And it's like, a lot of people want the coach to be fired, but at a certain point, it's the narrative that has to be fired. It's the narrative that, okay, this is a team that we're building, we're built this team to win, we expect to win. I think we've seen about a quarter of the way through the season that this team isn't built to win. This team has a lot of warts and you have to start to consider what is the future of the this team for this year? You know, what is the future of JJ Redick? What is the future of Derek Favors? What is the future of Alonzo Ball? What is the future of Drew Holiday? At the end, he also mentioned something that I think is very relevant here. And a lot of people are going to be very, very frustrated when Zion doesn't come back tomorrow. And even though they know he's not going to come back tomorrow, but they're going to say, this is eight weeks. You said he was going to be back in eight weeks, and he's not. Why? What David Griffin said there, and I think his wording is very important, Zion was, quote, was 285 pounds when he had the surgery. Zion Williamson's weight has been a point of discussion and a point of criticism. It right. will continue to be a point of criticism. He was 285 pounds. The NBA survey before the season, you know, which is supposedly accurate for like the first time right. ever, right. listed him at 285 pounds. Six foot six. Six six, 285 pounds. pounds. Second heaviest guy in the NBA. Third right? heaviest. There's That's two right, guys heaviest. heavier than him that listed in the NBA. One was Boban Marjanovic. The other was Yusuf Nurkic. Right. Both of those guys are over seven feet right. tall. Right. The closest parallel you have is Paul Millsap, who's about 6'6", 280, something like that. Right. But he's never been a high-flying guy. He's always been no. kind of a low-to-the-ground type, type dude. So, I mean, th- his weight is a concern. And you're talking about a guy, you know, when you're an NBA athlete and your, your caloric intake is based on your caloric output, you know, he, has a, he, he eats how much he needs to eat. Right, and this is really just a very basic breakdown of what happens when you have surgery, which is you can't match that input and output. Right, right. You're going to gain weight if he's 285 pounds before he has meniscus surgery. Who knows what weight he ended up at before he could rent back up? And if there's benchmarks he has to hit, if you know, it's far more than just like, hey, Zion, how's your knee? Right. If if he's you know 295, 300. Like, he's not getting on the court until he reaches a point that the Pelicans are okay with. And that's what should happen. I don't care if it takes 10 weeks. I don't care if it takes 
half the season. If he's not ready to get on that court and you throw him out there just because you said six to eight weeks to start, you know, that's malpractice as a GM. That's the type of thing that should get a GM fired. Right. And it is a and it is an interesting dynamic because Zion is very young. And so it's you know, we haven't had a ton of experience, especially with a player with a body like his. You know, getting we haven't injured. had any experience, right? And like and this. even in college, when guys like this get hurt, they're rehabbing them. First of all, it's only a 35, 40 game season in college, and you're only playing twice a week, and so it's not the level of intensity that you have right. playing every other night for eighty two games in the NBA. And so I think it's right to expect them to be cautious, and I think it's right also for us as fans to expect a very slow on ramp for Zion to playing twenty. 28 minutes or 32 minutes a game or something like right. that. It's going to take a long time before he gets to that point. And he's also going to have to, and I realize he's a blindingly good athlete, he's going to have to acclimate himself to the NBA game. It's eight minutes longer than in college. Right, and it's not, all this isn't a guy who you're saying is going to go out there and just shoot threes. He's, you, he's going to go out there and right. he's going to, from the jump, be doing what he does. Right. Like he's, you, I think in New Orleans, Specifically, I think it's a really weird time because they said six to eight weeks. It's going to be longer, right? And that's frustrating because if you look at the Saints and you had another guy who had the exact same injury timetable, six to eight weeks, he came back in five. Yeah, right. Right. So I think that there was this unrealistic expectation that all injuries heal faster than in New Orleans than the doctors say. But there's a pretty big difference between a thumb injury and a knee injury. Right. For a 40-year-old who, if he comes back too early and he re-injures it and that ends his career, he's already had a 19-year NFL career. Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame career, whatever. And, you know, that didn't happen. And I, I, and obviously, that's great. But there's obviously some... If he's 19, if he's a, if he's a first-year player on a team that doesn't probably have a, that much chance of success this year either way, no way is he coming back a week before the doctor said he should. Right. And there's not a snowball chance in that fireplace that he comes back early. If he's, you know, even 23-year-old Drew Brees, even like third year even in New Orleans torn, Drew Torn labrum Drew Brees from, from back right. in the day. Like got him out of San, San Diego. It's, it's not the same thing. and But I think that there's this like kind of weird expectation because the, the it worked out so well from the Saints' perspective. And it's working out so, so, so incredibly frustratingly poorly from the Pelicans perspective that it's just it's it's not unreasonable to think for, for people to be frustrated but there's this kind of idea that that David Griffin just isn't telling you the truth mm-hmm. I mean that's not fair he's telling you way more than he has to they didn't I think the mistake he made or the mistake that was made I don't know if it was him specifically but the six to eight weeks coming out to begin with was the mistake they should have waited far longer to come out with that timetable then like literally the day after he had surgery they were saying six to eight weeks and and the genesis of how the injury came about like he plays the preseason and then just right before the season starts oh zion williamson needed surgery he's going to be right. out and nobody saw that coming there wasn't a moment when he was carted off the floor and they were like well how didn't you fill out the, you know figure this out beforehand or how did we know this until just now well he has a high pain tolerance a lot of these and answers. How, who knows how long is meniscus? That's right. Acting I mean, and so a lot of these answers seem like unusual answers from a fan perspective. Right. And and then all of a sudden, so your new star, you've just sold tons of season tickets. People have bought lots of tickets in anticipation of being able to see Zion, and then to be told, hey, for six to eight weeks, 
We're not going to be able to see him. Yeah. And then you get to eight weeks, and the only thing we've seen him do was today. Or hobble around on crutches. He yeah. is <laughs> right. He is shooting some set shots. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's not he's not getting off the ground. He's not he's not taking passes and ra- he's he is shooting very casually, much as you or I might in the driveway, except better. Um, well, mine go in. <laughs> well, uh, nobody jumps up and pins one I'm of mine to the you. backboard, too. Um, well, you, you obviously don't play with Lonzo Ball <laughs> right. or Kevin Garnett. You know, it's easy to understand, I think, in this case, the fans' frustration because everything about Zion's injury has not proceeded according right. to what we're, we're used to dealing with in terms of injury news. It wasn't a play that we can point to when he was injured. The timetable has been messed up, and I don't necessarily think we should hold David Griffin completely responsible for that, but the team certainly bears some responsibility, though I think their caution is also to be, to be and, lauded. And as I said, I don't think that... I think that they're doing the right thing now, which is we're not putting him back out there until he's ready. This is a guy who you expect to be you know, the the next star of this team for a decade, not the guy who's going to get them to the playoffs this year. He's not a free, he's not, not Derek Favors on a one-year deal. You know, he's a guy you don't, you, you'd like to keep in his career, in New Orleans for his entire career. Right. Um, and again, I think the mistake they made was coming out the day of his surgery, the day after his surgery with that timetable. Because this isn't like, he didn't have surgery in right. the sense that Drew Brees had a split put in his thumb that takes a while to heal from. He, he had... A meniscus tear, he had arthroscopic surgery, which is really you're just cleaning out the knee I mean, and Drew Brees was, allowing it to heal. Right. Drew Brees was sitting on the sidelines doing thumb exercises because right. it was driving him I crazy. I mean, how many hours a day do you think Drew Brees was just like in a bucket of rice? Just like, <laughs> do you think like 23 hours? Like, I, I think that he was literally, yeah. I mean, he might have just trained himself to do it while he slept. Like, right. there's the, the, Drew Brees is a human cyborg, like, you know, he's data from Star Trek or whatever you want to do. Like he's, there's something there where he's more machine, machine than man at this point, but he's a completely just unique specimen of human something weirds going on. He's 40 years old, man. Uh, trust me. I understand the, the pain that being 40 brings yeah. every day, every morning. I understand. But that. Hey, I mean, New Orleans sports fans, right? As frustrating as the Pelicans are, and as frustrating as it is when you have Pelican season tickets and you see him on Seeky going for quite literally one dollar, one dollar, and not selling, <laughs> um, Saints are good, man. Well, that's the thing. If, if you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, if it's and, not, and that uh, Joey Burrow guy, he's a uh, he's pretty decent he's, as well. He's had a decent year uh, for that team up the road. Back here on Birdwatch uh, with Feynman Roberts. Uh, I'm Jeff Noack at Jeff underscore Noack on Twitter. If you're into that sort of thing, um, he's at Feynman because F A I M O N because he has a much more unique name than I do, and he doesn't have to include special fancy characters like underscores. That's right. Um, but here we're gonna we're gonna close on something. You know, we're gonna interrupt this this uh, just onslaught of disappointing takes and <laughs> such to uh, talk about something a little more fun. Which is Josh Hart's, what, what do you call it, man cave? At this point, it's... His gamer lair. Gamer lair. Gamer dungeon, even. His, uh, it's not really a dungeon. It's more like a palace. I'll give his, a, I'll call it a, his gaming palace. His digital den? Digi- no, that's just too much. 
Unless he plays Dungeons and Dragons, then you can call it his DD for DD. <laughs> well, then it would be a dungeon. Yeah. It would be a Dungeons and Dragons his dungeon. Dungeon Den for Dragon. Anyway. Um, we're not marketing. This so. is bad. I'm sorry. We're, we're going to continue. Uh, if you hadn't, you know, if you hadn't seen it, Bleacher Report and uh, Kids at Play, which is a LA based content firm, they created a program called Battle Stations. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, I, there was a story that I posted a while back. I can uh, you can find the link on my Twitter account. They're, they're starting up this series. There's two episodes right now. They've gone to De'Aaron Fox, who's the point guard for the Sacramento Kings, and Josh Hart Holmes, and examined their gaming setups. Which, if you are unaware, these guys are intense. Josh Hart is, he has his own Twitch stream, he does all this stuff. He's kind of weird, he has a podcast and does all this crazy things that I think are part of the reason that he's, you know, such an endearing athlete to follow around. Twitch being a streaming service for gamers. Yeah. You Uh, said he has a Twitch stream, just mention that. Yeah, is is that something that only nerds like me know? I'm not sure. Basically anyone who plays Fortnite probably would know it. Right, I only know it because of... A little bit, but my son is is very much into Twitch. Does he follow? Does he follow Josh Hart? I'd, I'll have to ask him about that. He he loves Fortnite. That's for sure. Darius Geis also a former LSU running back. He's big into Fortnite. Yeah, Twitch stream. Well, um, I can tell you, Fortnite is it's a cultural force um, beyond yeah. many things that I have seen. I remember the Twitter moment when people thought that they like ended it, and it was hilarious. People like freaked <laughs> out. It's genius. No, I mean, yeah. Fortnite is, is great. It's, it's a, you know, you could look back at it in 10 years and say this is the best viral marketing campaign of all time. Ever, yeah. But, so Josh Hart's kind of interesting because he, he moved to New Orleans, uh, you know, last September. This is when they filmed this. And uh, the the narrative of this show is basically Josh Hart's moving to New Orleans. But the biggest question is, can he adjust from console to PC gaming? Uh, which is now, he's big into WoW. If you're not, you know, someone like me who played it in high school, uh, it's World of Warcraft, the massive online multiplayer role-playing game uh, in the world of Azeroth, the fictional land of Azeroth, I think it's (laughs) called. Uh, You can be Horde or Alliance. Josh Hart demoed his uh, Horde character. Uh, You do know a lot about this. I I know. I, I played it a lot. I had to stop for my own health. But, uh, no, Josh Hart, it's, it's funny. This this episode's great. Um, Jason Berger, who helped produce it, he he said that uh, part of the reason they chose, they chose Josh, like, obviously, Josh is, like, big into gaming, and everyone knows that. You know, it was everyone knew it before he got here. But they uh, they were trying to figure out who to, who to go with, and they, they basically were like, how about Josh Hart? He was telling me the story about how they, like, established, you know, he just moved in, and Josh Hart had told the movers as they were setting up his house, being like, I don't care what you set up, in what order, but that gaming room is done first. Like he said, they went in there and it was basically Josh's dog, his couch, and then this like pristine gaming palace. And he, you know, he leads him in there and there's like a NBA Jam arcade cabinet in the corner <laughs> right next to his NBA Summer League MVP trophy. Uh, he had the dual widescreen monitors with like a chair that looked like it belonged in a spacecraft. Uh, the chairs are a big deal. Oh, chairs, oh, very important. Yeah, the headset's a big deal. Oh, his he had like a. Villanova branded Josh Hart headset. <laughs> he had like an audio mixer. He had no idea what the hell would even to do with two 65 inch TVs mounted on the wall side by side with the Nintendo Switch hooked up to him. I mean, the, t- a- the transition from, and I only know this again from my, because I have a 13 year old son, but the transition from console gaming to PC gaming is is a difficult transition to make. But yeah. from what I understand, no controller. PC gaming 
allows you to be much more precise in your in your movements, uh, well, especially I, in Fortnite. That's what my son told me. Because a nerd him. now. Yeah, well, I I'm gonna it's, wear that that uh, banner head uh, proudly. So it's true, but I uh, you know you, I'm still playing my Xbox. I don't care what you have to say. But no, and it's it's just kind of a funny a fun look into just the culture of like, and Burger, you know, we talked about this at length, and it's like I asked him basically like, why are people interested in what NBA players do in their free time, and like why do people why do you expect people to care about what how many hours of night Josh Hart is playing World of Warcraft, which he said was about two or three, and quote unquote nothing crazy. He should be watching <laughs> film. He should be dissecting the defenses of the next opponent. I think that stuff is fascinating because. You forget that these guys are not just right. basketball playing robots. They're human beings who have to grocery shop or, you know, re up their car insurance or all the exactly. all the terrible stuff that life makes you do. You'd imagine some of them have assistance for that sort of thing, but you know, some, some of these guys of, actually do go to the DMV. Sean Sean Payton, <laughs> worry about your meat. Right. You know, they still gotta stuff. go get their meat. Look, man, when you're when it's ten thirty at night and you're an NBA player and all of a sudden you wanna have some Cheetos. Right. You can't call up the assistant and be like, hey, go get me some Cheetos. If you're a baseball player, you can't just send out the clubhouse card. I, I think you can, actually. You gotta... Well, Depends I, how good I've never had an, had an assistant. When's the last time... It was like, like, there's that commercial with Steph Curry going to get milk in the middle of the night. I'm like, Steph Curry doesn't go get milk in the middle of the night. Go on. No, well, Steph Curry has Steph a Curry has a, has team. A, he, has a, he has a milk guy. When you get that NBA MVP trophy, then you get a 11:30 at night milk guy. When you have a summer league MVP trophy, you got to go get your own 11:30 yeah, you milk. You get, you get you get a new World of Warcraft guild. That that's you, you know. That's right. You get a you get a little you get a little tet jersey that you put on your character. Right. Well, good on uh, him for Josh Hart. I thought it was fascinating. No, it's it's it's, it's great. great. And uh, and the, the the other funny thing is like you assume these guys you, you know these guys are gaming you know like they they're on Instagram they're on Snapchat fair to assume that like oh they must go home and play nba live or play 2k <laughs> and it's like no these guys do that well all the college football players complain about and the pro football players complain about their their mad, mad ratings, rankings, but i don't yeah. think it's because they're playing quote unquote playing with themselves <laughs> i think it, like these guys you know josh Sharp bounces a basketball all day he doesn't want to go home and bounce a digital basketball that's true like they, they're playing call of duty they're playing all this stuff and i think it's just it's cool to see the interaction it's cool to see the culture the esports culture around the nba right. uh and and this is just uh it's just a good example of that, and uh, we'll close. We'll close with a with a, a little clip from Josh Hart, who I think if you uh, if you listen to this, you will agree that he's still not he's still not bowing down. That's what I was about to say. If you see Josh Hart in WoW, definitely don't bow down. I think if you forward slash bow, it will, but he will not do that back. No, so he won't. He be, won't bow down. Be ready. And uh, okay, take it away, Josh see people in different lights and you're able to have a better chemistry with those guys and it even transfers onto the court so anyone who want to get their ass well holla at me